Welcome to uh, Wodonga Baptist tonight. It's uh, good to see you out this evening. How are you feeling? <laughs> so hard to respond to that, isn't it? You don't really want to hear my response, Phil. Hey, it's great to be here, I reckon, to be here. A people of God tonight gathered to worship our great God. And I think it's amazing that, um, that each and every one of us here tonight are responding to our great God. Um, you know, whether or not you're investigating, you're here because there's something drawing you. There's something you're just curious about, about God. Um, and if you're a Christian, you're here because you just, you already know Jesus and you're here just because you want to praise His name tonight and you want to meet with other Christians and you just want to inspire each other. So I reckon it's just fantastic to be out here tonight. It's a, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? To not sit at home and just veg out in front of the telly or whatever you do, but to make a choice, a, de- a decision to come and worship God as your priority. So welcome to church tonight. It's going to be great tonight. A bit later on in the service, we're going to um, farewell our, some of our year 12. So we've had about 14 who have been a key part of our, our youth community here um, over you know a number of years, but over the last year they've been year 12s and we just want to send them off and we're going to do that a bit later. So if you're here tonight, uh, your, friend, your family members of uh, some of the year 12s, we welcome you, especially if you don't normally come to church here. So uh, a big welcome to you. Well, I hope tonight when you've come in, it's a desire that you have uh, to be changed. I hope that when you came in tonight, you were thinking, I don't want to leave at the other end of the service the same. Or I don't want to leave just kind of happy with where I am. Because it's a firm uh, conviction of us here at Wodonga Baps that we want to be people who are growing to become more like Jesus Christ. That is such a conviction of ours. And we know we kind of have ups and downs at, and the, on that journey, if you like, but definitely that's our prayer here. So if you're here tonight and that's your desire, then just that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And if it's not, then just maybe think to yourself, where am I at? Should I be just desiring more? Why don't I want to grow? But we hope that by the end of tonight, that's something you're really after. Now, there's a couple of things I want to let you know about because there's so much great stuff that's been happening at church at the moment. And on Wednesday night, uh, we had a, a church business meeting and lots of great things were communicated. And I just want to share a few things just to kind of let you in on some of the, the great information that, that sort of went down there. Firstly, we've got two, two new members of uh, the diaconate that have just recently joined the team on that meeting, and they are Greg Stanley and Mason Taylor. Are those guys here tonight? Mason is, because he's preaching. He's out the back there, g'day. Uh, is Greg here tonight? No. He's in a car park, is he? And Lisa Stanley, who's singing tonight, is his rep. But basically, these guys have become deacons. It's such a significant thing to put your hand up to be a part of this major kind of overseeing church leadership position. So let's be really praying for them and also thanking them for their awesome commitment. Thanks, guys. Also at the meeting, uh, Gail Hill shared about a proposal um, to formalise a counselling centre at our church. So currently some counselling gets done by herself and Mary Miles, but there's a real hope to make that more formalised and get it running uh, more and more efficiently so that more people can be encouraged to grow uh, to their full potential. And that's going to be brilliant. Um, What we're doing is uh, it's going to be something that's discussed and voted on in the next business meeting in three months' time. But in the meantime... People can talk to Gail about it or if you want to get more information about what this um, counselling centre is going to be like, then ask Gail and get some uh, promotional material on that or some, uh, get a look at the, the policy and that sort of stuff. And because we're really interested in getting your feedback on that. We want to make sure that that's a, it's a church-owned um, counselling centre if it's to go ahead. 
also at the meeting, um, Marg Docking shared about a, a missions trip coming up in the middle of next year. And this is really, really exciting, and it's pitched at everyone, but if you're a young person, then really think about this as well, because it's going to be something that changes your life. If you're an older person, and you're feeling pretty comfortable about uh, just life and taking it pretty easy, then think about a missions trip as well. You won't return um, unchanged by it. Um, so this is going to be a missions trip uh, to Nairobi, um, partnering with African Enterprise to build a toilet in the slum there. Uh, and the cost is going to be about $4,700 to get over there. But if you're interested, then basically what you need to do is, um, oh, you've got, yeah, there's information tonight, and there's going to be back, it's at the Mission Watch um, board, there's also Beck, Salver, where's Beck over there, hands up. And you guys can stick your hand up, James and Carolyn, just for fun of it. G'day. Um, but yeah, get some information. It's all the, all the stuff you need to know about it. But that's going to be fantastic and it's a great way of just putting, um, getting in, involved in serving uh, people who have got a uh, great need. Uh, also, something kind of fun and exciting happened at the meeting as well. James and Carolyn Punton, who are the fun people that put their hand up just there. Go again, come on. Nice. Um, these guys are, are doing something really big next year. They're sort of um, downing full-time work, going to, to part-time, and they're going to be doing ministry at La Trobe Uni at, uh, in, or in Wodonga. Um, so they're, gonna, they're giving up part of their, you know, all the money coming in to basically go into the university campus and encourage people who are Christians to really live the faith as well as to uh, reach out to a people who don't even know about Jesus yet. And that's going to be their goal for next year. So they're, they're going to become um, AFES uh, workers, which is Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. It also goes by the name Christian Union. So that's just fantastic. And our church is partnering them, partnering with them in a number of ways to support them in that. So if you're um, at La Trobe Uni and, uh, and you're just going, how can I really be a Christian here and have support and get mobilized to do mission then, then definitely speak to James and Carolyn and make it a real priority for next year um, as these guys seek to really make an impact in that place. So chat to them after service, I'm sure they'd love it. There's a few more announcements, just two more. The next one is basically, uh, we said the last day for paying and registering for the young adult camp, which is coming up in February next year, was last week. It's this week again, all right? So if you have not paid yet or registered yet um, or you've got friends you want to invite, then just get onto it because we really do need to know in advance who's going. It's going to be a brilliant way of just introducing people to the Christian community. There's going to be lots of chill time um, down at the beach and there's also going to be um, some good teaching that's going to be very, um, very relevant for us as well as Christians. So please be inviting people to that. If you're like um, over the, uh, the young adult age of 26 plus, we'd like to invite you as well. So if you're like in your, your kind of high 20s or your early 30s, then don't um, see young adults as a barrier for coming. So definitely come along. Lisa, I don't think you're... No, you, are you that old? No, I'm sorry. 32. Nice. <laughs> Awkward. That was great silence, wasn't it? Ah, next thing then. <laughs> but definitely at the end of the service, so Matt Head over here, mate, do you want to put your hand up? You'll be the guy to speak to about young adult camp and to check IDs and that sort of stuff, see if you can come along. Not. This is the last week, guys. Last announcement. Next weekend, Friday, Saturday, in a, for a matinee at 11 and a, a, an evening session on a Saturday night and Sunday is our Christmas musical. This is going to be awesome. Written by a couple of our local people and lots of 
um, people in our, from our church performing, singing, uh, lots of other fun things, kind of light sound, all that sort of stuff, getting involved and doing it. This is, the, this is the major mission event for the year of Wodonga Bat. So please invite people, give them flyers. So there's flyers, I'm sure, at the info desk you can grab, but really be inviting people to this. It's such a great way of just um, giving your, your mates, your friends, your family a bit of an entrance into um, the whole gospel idea. So please be inviting. You can buy tickets tonight, you can buy tickets throughout the rest of the week, um, but you can't necessarily be guaranteed of a ticket on the night because they're pretty good and they're probably all going to be booked out. Well, breathe in, Phil. Let's pray as we continue on in this service. Father God, we want to say that we, we do love you tonight. And we are here because you're real, um, God, and you're a God who is so amazing. And you sustain the earth at this very present time. God, you're so amazing that you enable us to breathe now. And Father God, for many of us here tonight, not only are you just this amazing God who keeps the world going around, but we actually have relationship with you because of your grace because of the offer of your son Jesus on the cross. So tonight, Lord, we come in response to this and we accept uh, this offer in faith, Lord Jesus, and we say we love you. And God, we just long that tonight as we continue now and as we sing praise to you, Father God, that our hearts would be singing to you, our hearts would be acknowledging that, yes, you are God. Yes, you're amazing. You're so amazing, I can't fully get you. Father God, we want to be a people who just know your love and are excited about your love and are passionate about your love and are willing just to offer praise to you, God, to thank you. Father God, we just pray that you become more and more real to us, that we'd more and more believe in the promises of your word. And Father God, that we just um, be so overwhelmed by, by your spirit that lives within us. Father God, we want to worship you now. We want to continue in all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Joel. I sort of count on Lisa to do the cheering from the crowd, mate. Well, I might just start by uh, reading our passage tonight, actually. We've been sort of working our way through Corinthians on and off here at Night Church. Tonight our, uh, our passage is in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, and it's uh, verses 24 to 27. So I'll just uh, grab your Bibles if you've got them. You should have them. And read along with me. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it a slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize." It's an interesting little analogy that Paul's just got there um, in the middle of his, his book 
And when I was thinking about uh, this and why Paul was writing this, a story came to, to my memory. And like most of my favourite stories, it's, uh, it's based around a premiership victory and uh, I was playing footy out at Yak and Danda. I don't know if I've told you about it before. But after, we, after we'd won the game and uh, my brother and I were trying to think of a way in which we could celebrate what we had achieved, and um, we'd seen on some of the Talangata lads some rather classy shirts. And so being a tradie, I love shirts. I think shirts are great. We thought we'd put together a shirt to celebrate uh, what we'd done. And here it is. I brought it in tonight to show you. It's just a picture of a rather imposing kangaroo just, you know, strangling, killing, beating a suitcase out of this little wimpy uh, Barnawatha footballer. And it just kind of um, celebrates what we did. But in, in going in to get this shirt, uh, we sort of drew it up and I took it into the designer there. And it was in there and I showed him, I said, hey, uh, we'd like these shirts made. And he had a look at it and he went, oh, yak and dander. He said, I just had the Barney boys in here. <laughs> I said, why on earth would they be getting shirts? They lost. He said, no, no, they weren't getting any. They were cancelling their orders. They were changing what they'd done. You see, a couple of weeks previously, they'd gone in there and ordered some shirts. They figured that because they were in the grand final, because they were a flash outfit and a fast side and they were, they were quite good, that it was a late there. They were going to roll over the top of us and walk away with the coveted prize. So they'd already had their shirts made up. I would have loved to have been there when they walked in to get them changed. This is a case of getting ahead of reality. These guys were living and acting like they'd already played the game, won the prize, and they were just setting off to celebrate. It is a classic case of getting ahead of reality. And the reality was that they still had a game to play. This, the game to play before they could even contemplate going and getting a classy shirt and wearing it. This is the same for the Christian. The reality is, is that when you accept Christ, you're saved. But there's still a game to play. And this is the, the concern that was on Paul's heart when he wrote this, this little passage in Corinthians that, we, that we're reading through tonight. See, the Corinthian church was thinking that they had arrived. They were living with an attitude of sort of triumphant, or some of them were living with an attitude of sort of triumphant complacency. Living like kings was how... Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 4.8. So in our little passage here tonight, Paul is moved to remind the Corinthians that rather than finding the finish line, all they have done is indeed found the starting line. And that starting line is Christ, who they received from Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.10 that he laid the foundations down of Christ in their lives. And this is the foundation on which they were to build a life worthy of the gospel that has brought them the very freedom that they now live in. And this gospel is that the Son of God, without ceasing to be all that he is, took up humanity and lived amongst us. That he lived a perfect life, even while com completely identifying with all that you and I encounter in life. As a man, Christ's life was perfect, and thus he was able to volunteer himself as our atonement. And as God, his worth and his act 
was infinite and universally redemptive. His resurrection from the dead stands as vindication and affirmation of all his claims to be the way, the truth and the life and the only true way to be reconciled back to God. At the heart of this message for Paul is the humiliation of the Son on the cruelest and most defamatory symbols the world has ever known, the cross. Paul's concern is that the Corinthian church is treating their salvation, which they have gained through the death of Christ, as a cause for partying, which it is. But our salvation is not the end. It is the start. It's the start of a new life. A calling to a, a new life to a higher calling. Paul has another memo for these guys in this passage here and for you and I. You have received the right through the grace of God to participate in living a life that glorifies God. And you have not that and you have it not through anything you have done, you have you have received it. And you have not just found the end but you have merely found the start and received the right to run. And this is where we find ourselves tonight, with Paul's call to commitment to the Christian, to a living that honours God. Paul uses one of the simplest analogies to describe the Christian life. He uses the analogy of a race. And it's good because a race has a start and the Christian life has a start, conversion. A race has a course to run. Christian life has a course to run, the will of God. A race has a finish. We'll have a finish too, and that'll be death. But if you are a Christian and you are still alive, then Paul, and God for that matter, expects you to run. So Paul, firstly in addressing this, says that there is an attitude that we are to adopt. We are to run in such a way as to receive the prize. Paul takes the familiar and culturally top-of-mind concept of athletes who compete in a race. For those in Corinth, this had instant imagery and recognition. Because Corinth was the home of the Isthmus Games, which were held sort of either side of the Olympic Games. Paul is saying the Christian life is no different to a marathon race of the Games. The athlete who wished to win the prize had not only to run, but had to run in a certain way if he was to win. He could not just sit around and celebrate his acceptance into the race. He had to get himself into the right frame of mind and adopt an attitude to win. Because everybody else on that course had the same attitude. Everybody else wanted to win. And Paul says that in the games, they all run. They all want to win it, but only one person will get the prize. Now this is not uh, Paul suggesting that um, only one believer can receive the prize of eternal life or salvation. There is no numerical value to what Paul is thinking here. Paul is just using the imagery to support his point. And his point is that he wants the Corinthian Christians, and he, want, and he wants you and I, to adopt an attitude of a runner who wins. The athlete who in pursuit of esteem and glory trains night and day to bring his whole body 
into submission so that no area of his life could cause him to fail or will allow, or, or will allow him to be disqualified from the race. He trains and he conditions himself so that fatigue and pain, so, so that when fatigue and pain come, he can overcome them. When the, when the trials of the race arrive, he has disciplined himself. He has, he has restrained himself from uh, heading down to McDonald's and eating down there or, or living a sort of a lazy life so that he can be in peak condition. Nothing is going to come between this athlete and his desire to win the prize. That's the mindset. That's the attitude that these runners have. And that's the attitude that Paul is asking us as Christians to adopt. He is prepared for whatever comes. The athlete is prepared for whatever comes his way. He intends to win and he runs with this mindset. In our Christian lives, we are to adopt this attitude. Would he live a Christian life with the attitude of winning? We are to live with purpose and intention. Paul's exhortation is to run and to run as one who intends to win. And this is the point behind the whole passage tonight. It affects everything that is said in these few verses. It is the ignition point, the ignition point for Paul's call to commitment, to live a life worthy of the gospel. To live a life that in everything that you do as a Christian, it brings glory to God. This is the attitude that the Christian should adopt from the outset. Another aspect of a race is that in order to, to truly participate in it and have any chance of getting anywhere, you've got to go into training. Training is essential. And Paul's use of the day-to-day imagery of, the lo- of local athletes training for the games would bring into mind the type of training and dedication uh, dedication to the cause required to win the prize. Those who wished to compete in these games, in these particular games, had to go into strict training for at least 10 months. They couldn't participate in these games unless they had set, set about this 10-month training period. You couldn't just turn up despite your abilities. You must prepare yourself to compete. You know, no serious athlete would ever consider just sitting around and waiting for the race of their life just to turn up, roll around the corner. No matter how blessed with ability and talents they might be, athletes train and they train hard. It requires them to be in constant occupation with their chosen discipline. The figures of the athletes running the streets and hills of Corinth would be a visual image for the type of training that Christian life requires. Those who want to run well must go into training. It's a call to commit oneself to growing in spiritual maturity, to develop a faith that is up to the task of living life and living a life that can bring glory to God. However, it is not a solo mission. And I think... Too often, like the Corinthian church, perhaps the modern-day evangelical church is too conversion-focused, so desperate to save the soul that we move on to the next one, to the next person, without pastoring the person in growth who has just come to faith, without making sure that they understand the decision they've made, without taking them through the process of healing life and baggage and everything that you have. It doesn't just magically disappear when you become a Christian. 
You know, if you go down the road here and, and go to the gym and you'll see muscle-bound types like Jonathan, who was telling us all about it this morning down there, and Joel and that, and they get down there and they pump a few weights. But, you know, they won't even let people use the weights down at the gym without instructing them on how to do it properly. Surely, the Christian life demands that, you know, that kind of accountability. That the church would seek to help and develop the faith of, uh, of Christians, of you and I. This is Paul's calling. We had, to, we had to go into training. But the church is also, as a group of people, we are to uh, put in place effective training was how, to, how to get the best out of being a Christian. You'll get the best out of going to the gym down the road if you follow the, the training regimes that they have down there. And there's things that we actually have here, um, discipleship stuff that, that Phil and, and Joff are putting together that they've, uh, I think they've pinched off a good group called the Navigators. No. no, if you want to know how to, how to get into good Christian training, get along and get some of this stuff. This is what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to adopt the attitude of one who runs to win. He wants us to train. And the Christian training regime should consist of an intimate, ongoing personal relationship with God, who for the one of this metaphor is like the coach. It should be underpinned with daily sessions of studying of God's word, of, of prayer, it is crucial that the Christian finds themselves in a Christian community where there is unconditional love and the building up and discipling of each other. This is the sort of training that, is, that, is, that Paul is calling the Christian to be committed to, to get into reading our Bibles, to getting into a small group, getting along to church. As a further incentive to getting into training, not that they, uh, they didn't know this, but it serves Paul's purposes sometimes to expose the obvious. I actually think Paul's rather sarcastic being, but perhaps that's why I like him so much. But he contrasts the prizes. The athlete in the games competes for a prize that will perish. However, you and I have a prize that is eternal. Whether they be modern-day Olympians or the ones of the ancient Olympic Games, the reefs that they receive, they all perish. They all fade away into nothing. And even the medallions lose their shine. I don't mind keeping on going back to it, but when I uh, played in that premiership side in Yakandanda, I received you know, a little medal. In fact, I played in two premierships. I played in the second premiership as well. <laughs> Those are happy times for me. But you know those medallions... They just live in my socks and jocks drawer. It's probably not a happy environment for them, but that's where they are. Occasionally, my kids play with them. So they kind of turn into cupboard things and, and toys. Their luster fades. You know, they're losable. They can be destroyed. However, the prize for the Christian, the prize that awaits them is eternity, and it is imperishable, and is far beyond any treasure of this world. The point of Paul is that if you need incentive for your, for your commitment to, tr to training, 
apart from the cost of Christ on the cross, think about what lies ahead. One day, eternity in heaven will be your reality. So run. Adopt an attitude of one who, who seeks to receive the prize. Get into training. Get along to church. Get into fellowship. Get into a study group. Mandy Stark is heading up our small groups now, and they are really finding some intentionality about them. Chase her down if you're not in a group. You know, make sure you've got a constant prayer life. Make sure you're reading your Bible. This is the training that a Christian needs to become super fit Christian, that they can continue to run the course. Another aspect of this race, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm putting my pages to the right and I've become a, um, an Arab. I'm reading this way. It's throwing me off a little bit. Another aspect that, that Paul uh, talks about in this is discipline. There's some of you here this morning, but it's probably pretty self-evident. Jonathan said it was self-evident, but Jonathan's been bulking up. He's been getting bigger and getting rather physique. And it's, he's feeling uncomfortable about it. It's been drawing attention to him and he just wanted to set the record straight so everyone knew. I, on the other hand, suffered quite the reverse as a bricklayer, you just keep a natural amount of fitness and um, whatever, muscle tone if you like, if it's there. <laughs> but when I finished laying bricks and the only thing I'd lift during the day was a pencil, my arms started to resemble a pencil. Now, and everyone was pretty keen to make a comment about it. So, you know, I started to develop a bit of an image problem. So I went and bought a gym set. Started working out and I had, I had, you know, incentive to get fit because I wanted to play footy again. So I had my gym set and I was, I was getting into it and, and getting fit and trying to regain some of the lost luster. But then playing football, I snapped my ACL joint and tore hamstrings and broke ribs. It wasn't much of a year. But anyway, I lost my incentive to get fit. And now my gym sit, sits in my garage taunting me every time I sit go to get in the car. But I just don't have the discipline in life anymore to get on that thing. I know it's going to hurt. I know I'm going to wake up the next day and feel very average. And I'll do anything to avoid it. The other day I was going to, I thought about getting into it, just thought of this then, and then Alison rang me up and needed some help, and I said, you bet, I'm on my way. <laughs> I don't have anything pressing to do. See your gym set, and I was off. I just don't have the discipline so I'm not going to reap the benefit of that, Jim. It's just going to sit there laughing at me. Paul says you must apply discipline to your Christian life. You know, you can have a great church. You can have a Bible sitting beside your bed. You can even have a study group to go to. But if you're not disciplined in using them, then they're not going to be of any help to you. If you want to make it in anything, in any aspect of life, you need discipline. What applying discipline does to your life is when the pressure is on, you know what to do instinctively. When you are presented with choices and challenges and faith moments as a Christian, if you've been disciplined in your training, then you know what to do. The Christian who has been disciplined in their training, in their commitment to spiritual growth, will know instinctively how to respond. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times... 
I've heard the phrase, it's all right, mate, the Lord will guide me or the Lord will get you through this. But how's the Lord going to guide you in anything if you haven't put in anything into your life for him to use? How's he going to bring a scripture to your mind if you haven't bothered to read your Bible? You can only really use what you've put in there. Paul uses two negatives to make his point. I don't run like a man running aimlessly. and I don't fight like a man beating the air. The absurdity of these two images makes his point with the Corinthians. What person in their right mind would run in a race with no plan, no goal, no direction? What boxer would get in a ring and not know how to land effective punches? That is crazy stuff. And in contrast, Paul makes his body his slave that it may serve his purposes. And his purpose is to preach the gospel. He brings his whole life into submission. Paul is not saying he gains this through physical punishment. Paul is saying everything comes at a cost. And sometimes that cost hurts. You bet it hurts. To get out of bed and have a quiet time in the morning after you've been out partying all night in moderation over at Harvey's Fish Farm at Timmy's 21st, <laughs> it's going to hurt. And I want to sleep. We have said that Paul's calling us to be committed to our Christian lives, to live with intention. This requires discipline. It means we are to be committed to our strict training. Don't lapse in any areas. If we do, if we don't have a disciplined approach to our, to our, our training and to our faith, it can become aimless. It can become like a bloke running in a race with no direction. And it can become without power, without any effect, like a boxer who just flash footwork and swinging, but no knocking anyone out. Paul is calling us to be committed to our spiritual growth through a disciplined life. Last part of our um, passage tonight is a little warning. It's a danger to avoid. This is Paul has one more remark of interest, avoiding danger. That is to stay away from things that disqualify you from a Christian race. And to be disqualified is basically to be put on the shelf, to be taken out of service if you like. It's the picture of someone who couldn't cope with the testing of life. They have succumbed to the path of least resistance. They have lost the attitude they need to run to win, the attitude they need to be disciplined to their training. Whether the race began to cost too much, whether the race began to hurt too much, whether it began to interfere with living too much, at some point the focus has been taken off the prize. And Paul is not saying here with, with this phrase of disqualification that you can lose your salvation. He is saying you can be disqualified from effective witness for Christ through how you build on the foundations of Christ in your life. He is in no way saying that the Christian can lose their salvation. Now Jesus himself said that no one in John 10, 28 to 29, no one can snatch you out of his or the Father's hand for no one is greater than God. Once you are found in Christ... And that is Paul's little expression for a Christian. And it's one of his favourite little expressions. It turns up 
over 164 times, I think, in his writings. A good example of one of these times is found in 1 Corinthians 5.17, where he says, If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Paul's understanding of this is that if someone is in Christ, they are in his body. And that is, his body is represented by the church, if you like. And Christ, as the only son of the Father, is the heir to everything. All that that this world holds, Christ owns. The Christian is also rightly called the heirs of the Father. However, it is not through our own right, but it is solely by the virtue of our incorporation into Christ. Being found in Christ means that you will receive all that Christ has. You have eternity waiting for you, and it cannot be removed. Paul said earlier, I think in Corinthians 3.10, that the foundation that he lays down, Christ, cannot be removed. No matter what you say, no matter what actions you do, no matter what, comes, what accusation comes against you, no height, no depth, no power on heaven and earth, separate you from the love of God which you have found in Christ Jesus your Lord. However, what you can do is to live a life or to put things into your life that disqualifies you from being an effective witness, from bringing glory to God through your life. And here's how it happens. The Christian fails to run with the right attitude. They don't keep up their training. They aren't disciplined to keep up their training. You cannot expect to live a life moving towards Christian maturity and developing a deeper and fuller relationship with God if you put nothing into it. I'll tell you this. The devil has no sympathy. He doesn't care. He doesn't care how much pain and suffering has come your way or how hard a day you've had or whatever's going on in your life. He looks for an opening. He looks for a weakness. He looks for you to avoid going and, um, and being disciplined in your training and he speaks words of apathy to you. And when he finds a, a spot where he can drive a wedge in, where he can kind of get you off the track, where he can kind of step on your throat and drown you in, in shame and in fear and in whatever sort of feelings of inadequacy, He seeks to knock you out of the race. Paul, to combat this, lives in existence of discipline and brings his whole life into submission so that he is controlled by nothing, so that nothing can master him, so that nothing can can cause him to slip, if you like. He's controlled by nothing so that his preaching cannot be spoken of in negative terms. We are to bring our lives into submission so that our lives can't be spoken of in negative terms. A question you might like to ask is what has control of you? Is it the gospel of Jesus? Or are there areas of life that are out of control? There are certain things that have mastered you rather than having been put to death. Habits and practices that are completely incompatible with the Christian life. Paul is saying they must be avoided or gouged out, or they must be brought into accountability 
lest they disqualify you from living an effective Christian life. How many times have you heard the label hypocrite railed against the Christian community? You know, we may not think that our actions are poor because of our understanding of our position before God. However, onlookers, we're searching for this hope that we say we have tucked away here inside of us, may have a different scorecard. Is that fair? Maybe not. But, being, but part of being disciplined is selflessness. Our love for others should motivate us to live in such a way that no evil can be spoken of us. Our lives should glorify God and draw people into curious conversations and observations for life we live. Paul is saying, not even I take things for granted. I am intentional about every aspect of life. Paul says the Christian is called to live a life worthy of the gospel. is a call to commitment, a call to holy living. I just want to make one little point before we round tonight out. This disqualification, you know, we can find ourselves there. But it's not final. You don't have to stay on the shelf. If you're someone who is, feels like you know, you've let your Christian life slip or you, you feel like uh, you just can't face God anymore, or you just, it's just all too much, this is not true. David, the king of Israel, knew what the shame and guilt felt like. He knew what it was to be out of fellowship with God. He knew what it felt like to look at the mess he had made of his spiritual life and wonder whether he had the humility and whether he had the conviction to deal with it. But David would go on to write those humbling words in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. This is not cheap sentiment. This is the king of a nation who answers to no one, but who knows he has failed. His life is on display for all to see. But David knows that God's grace allows him to come back before him, humbling himself before God and before a nation and before everyone that knows him. He says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And it's at the end of a confession of a sinful life. It reignites his race. You know, David had to make that move. He was the only one who could do it. If you are struggling with your Christian life, don't, don't drown in it. Put your hand up. There are people here who won't judge you. They'll talk you through it. They'll love you. Guys like Phil and Joff and, uh, and Gail and our pastoral team here, and even if you, if you know a good, uh, sort of mature Christian friend, don't be afraid to talk to them about how to live this life, how to get back in the race. God does not want you out of the race. Trust me. You may involve a bit of pain, but you will be back where you were created to be, in fellowship with God. At the start of tonight, 
I, I was talking about shirts. I think shirts are, are great. They reveal stuff about people. Tell you a little bit about who the person is who's wearing them. I told you about some individuals who wanted to wear a shirt, but they didn't deserve to wear it. They hadn't run. They hadn't played the game to wear it. I see this shirt around the place a bit. It's a young adult shirt. This isn't mine. I think it's Joel's. It's a bit small for me. <laughs> Wodonga District Baptist Church. Be bold in Christ. My question is this. What is the life of the person inside of this saying? When they wear this shirt. I hope that it represents a community of believers who are taking their faith seriously, who have heard the call to be committed to the will of God and to live a life worthy of the gospel that has brought them their salvation. You know, you might not have a Wodonga District Baptist Church youth shirt. I don't have to steal this one from Joel. But if you are a Christian, you are part of the body of Christ. You represent him to the world. And Paul is saying this, and Paul is saying that this is no little matter. Paul is calling us to commitment, to commitment to run, to adopt an attitude of one who runs to win, to a commitment of ourselves, to sticking to training, to being disciplined in it. Why is Paul calling us to this commitment? so that our lives can be effective for the kingdom of God, so that they don't end up disqualified and in need of serious spiritual surgery to get us back in the race. I think if Paul had a shirt, I reckon Paul would have half a dozen shirts, but if he had a shirt, one of them certainly would have read, a call to commitment, a call to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ that has brought us our salvation. Father, we want to we just want to humble ourselves before you tonight and recognize that um, everything we have has come from you. All that we have, all that we live for, all that we look forward to, we have through through you. Lord, we find our salvation in uh, the acts and works of, of, of your son Jesus. Lord, we don't want to live a life that cheapens that. We want to live effective lives for you. And I pray that this uh, would be our call to commitment, that we would seek to live a life that is worthy of all that you have offered and given to us. Amen.